Today we're on the part, see what God can. And before going any farther, man, I got a handful of lifesavers that, uh, by the way, help me out here. Find somebody that would like to have a lifesaver over the next few. Who's going to help me out on this side? Come on. Oh, Jerry, Pastor Jerry's got it. Anybody want a lifesaver? Don't be shy. If you're sitting by somebody and their breast stinks, raise your hand for them. Give them a lifesaver. Because I don't know sometimes if we recognize it or not, but what we have is a lifesaver. I don't know about you, but my life has been saved because of who God is. He didn't have to be what He is to me, but He chose to be my Savior. Now, the problem with this is most time when people get a lifesaver, the first thing they do is they open it and put it in their mouth and they consume it among themselves. But if you really believe He is, you need to understand what you have in your heart and in your life could be someone else's lifesaver. I mean, we, we've got family members. We've got loved ones. We've got co-workers. We've got people we see all around us that telling you they are in need of a lifesaver. Their marriage may be needing saved. Their, their health, their heart, their eternity. And I just want to encourage you. We're, we're five weeks out rolling into Easter. And if you really believe in what we do here, if you really believe that God is God of this church and God can be God of your life and God has changed your life and saved your life, then there's got to be somebody in your life you love enough to give a lifesaver to. I gave you lifesavers this week. Next week, I'm going to give everybody in here a lifesaver to find somebody between now and Easter and offer them a chance to receive a true lifesaver on Easter. We've got Easter rolling. I'm, you know, we're right at four years ago now. Beautiful young teenage girl came to church on our Easter service, came in, took a picture in the parking lot for her Instagram feed, said, I'm so excited to be here, came in service, participated, stood in the Easter altar call, walked out of the service to go eat lunch with her family. After they ate, got on a four-wheeler and hit a tree and died and went to eternity that quick. We're not playing games. And I was so honored as a pastor of a church that if God was going to give her one more chance to get things right that morning, because God loved her so much that I promise you, nothing happens that God's not aware of. He doesn't cause things to happen, but He loves us enough to work in our circumstances, work in our situations that He made sure. I've pictured it a thousand times in my mind that morning the devil had set in motion the wheels to take that young girl off this earth and into eternity. And I've pictured a thousand times since that day how on her way to church that morning, I pictured it, the angel standing on all four sides of her car making sure nothing could happen on her way here. That 
I, I picture it, that God positioned the right people in the foyer that morning to open the door and to shake a hand and hug a neck and make sure she felt welcome when she came in here because the devil would have loved for somebody to offend her in the parking lot or into the lobby before she got into a place where she was about to hear the gospel and her eternity was about to change. He loved her enough that he didn't let the preacher that was standing on the stage that morning say something stupid or offensive that would have turned her off or put her in a place that she couldn't hear what the Holy Spirit was calling out her to do. That God loved her enough. And God saw that this church could be that church. That just an hour and a half after a commitment to the Lord, she walked into eternity. And when she got to that book, the page flipped open. And her name was written right there. I don't take those opportunities lightly. I believe God uses this church and God has a great calling on this church. And we have Easter coming in just a couple weeks. I don't know who will be facing eternity this year. Who will walk off this planet and walk into eternity. And they're going to come to that same book and have to look and see if their name was written there as well. But I, wanna, I don't mind carrying the load of making the commitment to anybody I can invite, I'm going to. Any way I can invite them, I will. Any influence that I have, I'm going to use. You know, I've got, so everybody's got a friend they know needs the Lord. A lot of times we're just too afraid to invite them. I promise you on Easter, we will not embarrass you. I will not be wearing a pink or yellow jacket. I will not do anything goofy or crazy, but I can promise you this too. We will present the gospel to anyone that's here that will be able to, if their heart or their desire is to get things right with the Lord, they're going to be able to do that, that service. So if we, you do believe in what we do here, I want to ask you over the next several weeks, begin to use your influence, begin to use your position, begin to use who God has put you here to be in the world that you live in and have influence on to get them to the house of God in Easter. And I believe God will change them forever. Amen? All right, well, we're going to jump into today's message right off. And, um, man, I'm so excited that, um, about preaching this one. But I'm really excited about the next one I'm going to preach is how see what God can do through. I'm excited about it, so I'm going to try to keep from getting to the through, try to stay on the can, because um, I want to make it, help people maybe understand this morning and maybe teach just a little bit about why God does it at points in our life. Dugan, it's good to see you here, man. Awesome. You change looks every time I see you. He's a, you remember that movie, Master of Disguises? Y'all remember that guy? He changes costume. That's Dugan. I have to look five or six times to figure out who you are every time I see you. But it's good to have you home, sir. You know, if God were given an opportunity, I believe he can. I've learned this. Any space I give God, he'll fill. Any chance I give him to work, he does. So my question is, why a lot of times do I not see God working in my life or on my behalf when maybe he's working for others? Have you ever sit in a service and the preacher's preaching or the spirit's flowing and something's going on? It's like the person right beside you gets it, feels it, is meant to greatly, but you're just like there and nothing. You know, I've, I've been in services like that lots of times in my life. It's like they're getting it, I'm not. Why is it more available to others than it is to some, 
this life-changing, this, this, this impact and encounter that God has for me. And what I've learned is this. God's not a respecter of people, but he is a respecter of places. And what I mean by that is, I want to read a scripture to you real quick that it's called, um, it's found in 1 Kings 18. And for the sake of time, I'll, I'll read this story, but we're going to go into a lot of them today. 1 Kings 18, it says, And then Elijah called the people, come over here. And they all crowded around him as he, repair, as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. Today, I'm talking on all the direction in your life comes from the altar. And I'm going to show it to you here in just a few minutes. And a lot of times the concept of altar, we have the wrong ones in our life. And hopefully I can, cl- can clarify a little bit about that for you today. But I want you to realize real quick as we get into this, Elijah was a prophet of God, used mightily by God to do great signs and wonders. But when he showed up into a situation where God did not, had not shown himself to be real yet, the first thing he had to do was, the Bible says, he had to repair an altar. Now, altars are very unique things used by God. In the Old Testament, altars were actually structures that were built and established. If you had to put a definition on what an altar is, an altar is a place where a divine God meets with frail humanity. It's where an encounter between humans and God takes place. Now, the world even has, understands the concept of altars because anywhere in the world you go to, whatever deity they choose to place as higher power, you will find altars built from them to whatever deity it is. Here, Elijah showed up, and before he could let God do something amazing in a nation where God was about to change the scenery and the direction of this nation's life, the first thing that had to happen was an altar had to be repaired. There had been an altar built before, but because the altar had not been maintained, maybe used, visited, you know, or even um, attention given to, the altar had found itself in disrepair. Now, I don't know about you, but when I got saved, it was an encounter I met God with at an altar. Now, we have some denominations that actually believe that you cannot even get saved unless you're willing to stand up, walk down in front of people, and meet God at the altar. Now, if that's what you've been taught and believe, you know, that's okay, but we're going to go into some things today. But I just want to make this statement. If you've ever had an altar experience in your past, you understand what I say when I say altar experience. There was a moment, whether it was in your car, at your house, my father's was in a trailer in a back room, and Billy Graham was on the TV and he gave the invitation to give their heart to the Lord and he just got through beating my mom. She was in the front of the trailer and he fell to his knees right there and his altar was there, had an experience with God. Altars are where you have an encounter with the divine God and everyone is in need of an altar. 
But the truth is this. Once you have an altar in your life, if it is not maintained, just like here in this story, altars will break down, altars will begin to be uh, dilapidated, altars will begin to fall apart on their own. You say, well, how can that be so, Cricket? Because life is full of storms. What happened was at one point in this altar, or in this nation, they had built an altar to the Lord. And people had experienced encounters with God there. But because they had walked for seasons away from that altar in rainstorms, and windstorms, and heat, and cold, and life's elements alone, just being a part of what life is, altars will fall into disrepair. And so you need to know this. Maybe you were saved when you were eight. Maybe you gave your heart to the Lord two years ago. Maybe you were just saved a day ago or a week ago. An altar that is not having constant maintenance or being constantly visited and given attention to, I don't care how spiritual or how impacting of a salvation experience you had, your altar will fall apart. And Elijah understood this. If I want God to show up in a real way, the first thing I need to do is make sure that my altar is intact. Because the last time I used this altar, there's been a lot of things that have taken place and went on. So if I want God to show up again, there's some mending and some fixing I need to do. So the Bible says before he did anything, he repaired the altar. It says, then he took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he used the stone to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. And then he dug a trench around the large enough, that was large enough to hold about three gallons of water. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. And then he said, fill four large jars with water, and pour the water over the offering in the wood. And they had done it. And they had done this, and he said, do the same thing again. And when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. So he did it, and he said, and the water ran from, ran around the altar and even filled the trench. Now, let me point something out real quick here. He knew, before I can have an experience with God, I need to repair the altar. But you need to understand, this is amazing to me, that he knew the power of an altar and how impacting the power of God will meet someone at the altar, that he did some very unusual things. He had them dig a ditch around it and fill it with water. Now, that's not normally what you do when you get ready to have fire on an altar. You need to know something. Altars are a place where God gets to do the impossible. When someone has an altar in their life, they will know God of the impossible. Because what normally would fight fire in this story, because he repaired the altar when the fire came down, the Bible you'll read on down and see, it says that the fire licked up the water. 
how do some of these people you know, how do some of these people that serve the Lord do these impossible things? I want you to know, none of them are by chance. None of them are by accident. I don't know a single person that is mightily used by God in great ways that doesn't have an altar because what they're doing is impossible. But with the altar in place in your life, you have the ability to do the impossible. An altar is where the fire of God falls down. People want to get on fire for God, but you don't want to have an altar. You're never going to get on fire for God because the fire of God falls down on the altar. An altar is where God meets humanity. It's a place where God is revealed. You know, for years I sit in churches because I'm a PK and it's been a part of my life. I knew all about God. I mean, I've been taught Bible stories and Bible lessons and I knew about God. But it wasn't until there was a a time that I had an altar experience that God became real to me. God reveals himself at altars. The Bible says here after they poured the water over this altar, Elijah prayed, says, God, send your fire. And the fire fell, licked up the water. What should have been natural became unnatural because it was supernatural. Supernatural things happen at the altar. But not just that. The Bible says the whole nation knew what God was real. God reveals himself to us in real ways at altars. You say, well, Cricket, I I, I want God to reveal himself in new ways at home. Build an altar. Cricket, I want God to reveal himself at my job. Build an altar. I want God to reveal himself in our city. We're going to have to build an altar. You know, it's a place, altars are places where supernatural manifestations happen that don't happen anywhere else. Provision happens at altars. The Bible says Abraham climbed a mountain and built an altar. Laid his son on a sacrifice, his only son, had no other And it was at that altar God provided a supernatural miracle of provision to where his future stayed intact. You worried about provision? Build an altar. If you're struggling being broke, build an altar. A place of healing happens at the altar. There was a man named Zechariah that the Bible says frequently visited an altar. And one day at an altar, an angel of the Lord appeared and says, you're going to have a baby. He said, can't be. My wife is barren. She's been barren. She's always been barren. And because his visitation at that altar that day, God released a child into a barren woman's womb. And John the Baptist was called forth. You need to understand, if there is something in you that needs a healing... I'm going to go, to go to every healing minister's service I can find. No, build an altar. Because at altar services, when you have an encounter at an altar and God meets you there, you don't have to chase every Benny Hinn or you don't have to chase every Jesse Duplantis. You can chase your altar and God will heal you at that place. It's a place where stories change. People that have altars in their life Their lives go from black to white, or white to black. It's a changing place. The Bible says Jacob, his whole life, deceiver. Jacob, trickster. Jacob, always in trouble. Every time you find Jacob in the Bible, he was running for his life. He was just a mistake, a mess up. But he had an encounter at an altar. 
And at that encounter, the Bible says, he grabbed on to the angel that appeared at that altar that day and said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And the angel stepped back and said this. He says, all right, you want a blessing? No longer are you Jacob. You are Israel from this. His destiny changed in a minute at an altar. Why do some people experience God like others don't? You look into their life and that you will find a place and a moment where altar experiences took place. Identity comes from your altar. You don't know who you are? You'll never know who you are until you meet who made you. And God meets people at altars. What are you here for? Destiny is released at altars. You know, altars all the way through the Bible were places of miracles. And they're still that way today. There are two major miracles that happen in our lives. One is when you're born again. Because even a Pharisee said, how can a man be born again except get into a womb and come out? No, you're born again at an altar, at an experience or an impact with God. Another is marriage. When two lives come up to the front of a church or field or barn or whatever, but they call it coming to the altar, a miracle takes place. As big a miracle as you going from hell to heaven, as you being lost to found, when two people, the Bible says, become one at an altar, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. As a matter of fact, Justin and Hannah are about to have their wedding, and next Sunday, right after service, is their Wedding, no, two Sundays from now. <laughs> two Sundays now, wedding service. So, and their favorite color is green. Need, all right, so if you, got, if you don't got anything to give them green, pull it out of your wallet. That's their favorite gift. But we're having it right after church on the 31st. But at there, then you'll see two lives. We can't make two people become one. But the miracles at an altar take place that way. You know, the Bible says in the book of Job that Job was alive and living life, and God was blessing him majorly. And the Bible says the devil came and walked on the earth, and then when the devil came up to heaven, he said, God says, where have you been, Job? And he says, well, I was walking the earth. And he says, well, when you were walking it, did you by any chance notice my, my servant Job? And he said, yeah, man, I noticed him. That's the one that is so blessed, it's coming out his ears. And God says, you know, that's my... My, my, my servant, that's, that he loves and serves me. And that's what the devil said. He says, well, if you took away his blessing, he would curse you. And the Bible says that the devil said, all right, God, give me a chance and I'll prove that. And then he said, but I can't because there's a hedge built around him. Every parent in here or grandparent needs to understand the power of an altar. Because the devil could not touch him, his possessions, his house, but most importantly, his children. Because there was a hedge. Why was the hedge there? Was it because God loved him more than others? No. It says this. It says every day, Job got up and built an altar every morning before the Lord for his children. And this is what it says. It says, and the Lord had a protection around him. The devil couldn't touch his family because there was an altar. 
So you know what the devil did? He knew that. The devil knows how it works. The devil knows, well, if I can't touch them, then what I need to do is I need to get a way in, create a way that I can get to them. And so the first attack that came against Job was it came and it took away his livestock. Why was that significant? Because once he lost his livestock, he had nothing else to lay on an altar. And after he lost the ability to have an altar, next thing that happened, he lost his kids. He lost his wealth. He lost his friends. And even his wife turned on him. I want you to know something. Moms, dads, grandparents, you better have an altar in your life. Because there comes a power of protection out of an altar. And did you know the Bible says that for the next 40 chapters there in Job, he continued to lose it all. But when you get to verse 40, or chapter 40, the Bible says he had a friend that gave him a few sheep and he laid them on an altar. And for the next two chapters, it talked about God blessed him double from everything he left. What was significant in his life? He was able to get back to a place. He built an altar. Altars are where heaven's fires come down. You find somebody with an altar and you'll find somebody that struggles in their life spiritually. They're a roller coaster. They have to go from experience to experience. They can't experience God on a constant level because altars is where God brings in the fire. Altars, you find somebody that, that doesn't have an altar in their life, you'll find somebody that can't get free from sin because it's the fire of God that purifies us. It's the Holy Ghost that comes in and pulls that stuff out of us. And without an altar, you won't have that experience. An altar is a place of exchange. This is what you have to understand. And this is a statement that you need to let be burned on the inside of you. Heaven can release nothing unless earth gives something up first. You need to know this. Because we just want God to bless us. We want God to heal us. We want God. And I want you to know something. God can. We're talking about God can today. But the problem is, nothing comes from heaven unless something comes from earth first. Say, so, well, Cricket, prove it to me in the scripture. Okay. Well, the Bible says at an altar, Jacob had a vision, and there were angels ascending and descending. Now, the Bible says that in heaven there is a throne, and around that throne are 24 elders. And each elder is holding a bowl, and that bowl that they're holding, at a certain time they walk up before the Lord, and they pour out of that bowl the prayers of the saints. Now, the Bible clearly says this. You have not because you ask not. If you aren't praying, if you aren't lifting up prayer, if you're not sending up praise, if there's not a place of worship in your life, if something doesn't leave earth first, heaven can't send down what God's wanting to send. The Bible says Daniel was praying for something for 21 days, kept praying for it, kept praying for it. The Bible says that an angel appeared before him and said, hey, we heard your prayer the first day. And God sent your answer. But there was a war in the heavenlies. What would have happened if he wouldn't have prayed? Well, God knows. Well, we know God knows. But the Bible says that we have to ask. And you receive. For God to do anything in our lives, there has to be an altar built that you can send something up so that God can send something down. And you say, well, Cricket, I've had God do things in my life before I prayed. I'm here to tell you this. Somebody else in your life was praying for you. 
You say, well, Cricket, I, I wasn't praying before I got saved. Somebody was. Either your grandma or your grandma. You look far enough back in your, in your family tree. Somebody was sending something up so that God would have the ability to send something down. And see, an altar is built. It's a structure in the Old Testament that when you lay something on it, they would light it on fire. And when it was set on fire, the smoke would go up and the presence of God would come down. You need to understand that we've got to have altars in our lives. Now, this is something you need to understand too. God takes altars very serious. So serious that it has the ability to change your destiny. The Bible says in the book of Genesis that he told Cain and Abel to build an altar. Cain did not understand how important altars were. He thought it was just, yeah, just another Sunday or ah, just another a spiritual event, or ah, just, a, and so he went in and just did what was ordinary. It was routine. He treated the altar as just a, you know, what I'm saying a a common thing. But his brother Abel realized how God sees an altar, and the Bible says that when he did it, he took it as serious as God did, and he put his best. And when God God received one and rejected the other, cricket. I go to church all the time. When you come in here, do you understand? what you're walking into. Do you understand what we're about to encounter? Because God understands how important altars are. Now there's a, there's a story in Second Kings chapter 16, I'm going to paraphrase it for time. But the king of Judah, the Bible says, came and an enemy came up against him that was stronger than he. And it freaked him out. So, what he did was, instead of turning to God, you need to understand, they had the temple. And in the temple was a 270-year-old altar. That for 270 years, the children of Israel and the nation of Judah could come before it and they would encounter God. But this enemy that he was facing seemed so large that panic and mentality and stress took over. And instead of turning to the altar that had proven itself for 270 years, the Bible says that the king of Judah went to another king, and his name is Tilegate, if I get or something like that, I call him TG, and said, man, I got this issue going on. Will you help me? And the king said, yeah, I'll help you. So he came, brought his big army, and they defeated the enemy, just destroyed them. And the king of Judah pulled back and was like, wow, check this out. Man, you guys fixed this situation. Thank you so much. And then this is what it says. He said he was so impressed that he went to the house of the Lord and took what belonged to the house of the Lord, the monies, the gold, and he brought it to that king in thankfulness for him. And he gave it to him. But while he was with that king, this is what the Bible says. The king had a temple that was lift, that was built for worshiping other gods. But in this temple was an altar that was impressive. And it was built in an amazing way. And it was, when you walked into this temple, you saw this altar and it was the main piece of furniture. And he thought, man, their altar is so much better than mine. Look how pretty it is. Look how awesome it is. So he said, he asked for the blueprints of that altar. So we want to build one just like it. So he took the blueprints of the altar. Read it. You need to read this for the sake of time. It's 2 Kings chapter 16. 
So, so they came back, the, the prophets, they sent the blueprints to the prophets, and they, they built the altar to the exact specifications of the blueprints. And then this is what he said. He came into the temple and he said, listen, all right, I want this new altar to be placed here in the center where the old altar is supposed to be. But I don't want to get rid of the old altar because I might need God one day. He said, so let's take the old altar and let's go put it in the back room. So they went and put the old altar into the back room and it says there, and said, in case we need to inquire of the Lord. Why is it a lot of times when we come into situations, we try everything else, and when we have nothing else to do, we say, well, all I can do now is pray. We've all done it. You're facing bills. You're you try to get it paid every which way you could. Go to the, pay, the payday check loan place, trying to get it. You've already got three sitting there, so they won't give you another one. So then you've got to start calling people. And instead of going to the source... When we can't got any other source, see, he took the altar and he put it in the back in case. Because he knew it worked, but he liked this new altar better. It made him feel better about himself. Got him out of something the way he thought he should get out of it instead of allowing God to do it his way. And then this is what the Bible says. They placed that altar there. And if you read it, this is what statement you need to know. It says they took the old altar... And they put it in the back, and then they placed the new altar into the place. But it says off of the east side of the old altar. You need to understand this. All direction in your life comes from where your altar is. I can tell when people have altars or not. You can tell when I do. When I come up here and I minister and there's no anointing, you better believe I hadn't been to my altar. When... I see people living like they used to live or talking like they used to talk. I know that there's no altar. I know they're walking away from it. But when I see people and their, their lives are changing and their things happen, and I know where their altar is. All direction of your life is connected to where your altar is. All direction comes from the altar. In Ezekiel, the Bible says this. The Bible says, in the temple, the river flows. And where the river flows, it says it comes out and north of the altar. And then it says it flows out of the altar, out of the temple, into the valley, and into the river. And everything that the river touches, the Bible says, comes alive. And the fish begin to stream into the river. When you find somebody that has no life in their life, there is no altar. I'm not saying you don't go through dark times. As a matter of fact, when you're going through dark times, when you're supposed to be at the altar, the Bible said this. The Bible says that Moses had to approach the dark cloud before he could meet with the Lord. The Lord was inside that. Sometimes God allows dark situations because he knows that we can have an altar right in the middle of it. The Bible says, so we love to build the altars when things get good. And the Bible says when the children of Israel came up to the River Jordan, he said before they did, when the Lord parted it, he said that they were supposed to take one tribe of each, one man of each tribe, they were to pick up a stone, walk through the river, and on the other side of the river, 
build an altar. But also a lot of people don't read the part where it says he came back this way. Joshua, when they were getting stones out of the river, Joshua was getting them off the bank. And the Bible says he went back and in the middle of the river, he built an altar. While they were building it after the victory, Joshua knew I better have one in the middle of the situation too. Now you say, well, Cricket, why is that important? Because this, when the river rolled back, you couldn't see that altar anymore. You know you got an altar when people don't get to see it. If you're not spending time with the Lord when nobody sees it the only time you're spending with God is on a Sunday morning or Sunday night. I want you to know something. That's what you do when you get a victory altar. But you're going to find yourself right in the middle of a mess at some point, and you better be able to build an altar there. And nobody will ever know about that altar. But it will be an altar. Now, when you go from Sunday to Sunday, you miss the impact of the altar a lot of times because of this reason. From Monday to Saturday is where the hell breaks loose. And the hell that you're dealing with from Monday to Saturday has the ability to break your altar down. Just like Elijah had to rebuild the altar, it's a daily process. But the Bible says this, we got to speed up. The Bible says the altar, the fake one. The fake one. i got to be honest with you, a lot of times the church has been a new fancy altar for me. The only times I ever came to encounter God was because of church or in church or preparing for church. And the problem with that, I don't know what your bought altar could be. It may be an AA program. It may be a relationship that anything you have in your life that makes you feel better about who you are besides God is a fake blueprint of an altar. And the reason why we keep it is because it makes us feel better. But the problem with that is this. When you read on down there, Second King just says this. After the altar was placed, beside the altar was a laver. Now the laver, in simple terms, when you came into the temple, was where the holy water was. They would clean themselves before they approached the Lord. The Bible says that it's set up on some stands. And when they put the fake altar in, the next thing they did, it says they lowered the stands. When you allow anything but an encounter with God to be in the place or be something to you that your altar should be, you can find your standards beginning to lower. What you used to think wasn't okay, you start convincing yourself that it is. You start allowing yourself to live and become and do things that at one point you knew were wrong, but now uh, it's really not that important. It means you got the fake altar. You need to understand this. Do you know the prodigal son? The Bible never says he sinned. Did you know that? That's shocking to us. We think, wow, prodigal son went out and lived this wild and crazy life. No, the King James says he went out and he lived loose. Lived loose means that what he used to consider to be important, he allowed to not be important to him anymore. You can see, see, the altar is a place where you encounter God. And as long as he was staying in the Father's house encountering God, he had standards that kept his life blessed. But all direction comes from the altar. The farther he got from the Father's house, the farther he got from encounters with Dad, the farther he got from that moment of being there, the looser his life got. To the point where his life got so loose, he found himself surrounded by pigs. He said, Cricket, I'm just not living in sin. 
But if you're not living in the presence of God, you're living loose. Because an altar is where your direction comes from. But then this says this, not only did they lower the standards, they lowered the level of water. What does that mean? Why do some people not have the power of the Holy Ghost flowing through them like others do? Why, why are some have, you know, it's like the Holy Spirit, the river that's flowing from the altar and into the river. How come some people are blessed no matter what they do? It's like they, everything they touch turns to gold. Relationships, jobs, family, all that's happening. You don't find success by accident. You only find it on purpose. And when you find somebody that has blessings flowing through their lives in good times and bad times, you can look. There's a water level at work. And when you spend long periods of time away from an altar, your water goes down. The Holy Spirit flows out. We leak. We leak. So it's a constant revisiting. Now, we're talking about the altar there, but you say, well, how do I build an altar? God gave us some specific directions when it came to building an altar. In Exodus chapter 20, in verse 22, I want to read this to you. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus she shall say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven, and you, have, and you, shall, make any, and you shall not make anything to be with me. Gold of silver or gold, gods of silver, gods of gold, you shall not make for yourselves. But is implied here. An altar of earth shall, make, shall you make for me. And you shall sacrifice on it burnt offerings and peace offerings. Your sheep and your oxen in every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. And it says, and if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it from hewn stone. For if you use any tool on it, it will be profane. Nor shall you go up by the steps of my altar that your nakedness may be exposed to it. Now, what does that say in cricket? <coughs> it says this. It says that God said, first of all, in the Old Testament, altars were structures. You need to understand, in the New Testament, God's plan, his type and his shadow became reality. So it says in the Old Testament, he told Moses, Moses had just come down the alt- off the mountain with the Ten Commandments. And God said, tell the people, now don't build gold calves, don't build silver. They build me an altar and make it out of earth. Now, I'm going to lay out Old Testament and New Testament for you real quick. In the Old Testament, he said that we were to build altars out of earth. In the New Testament... The Bible says that a sower went to sow seed. And as he threw the seed out on the ground, it fell on four different grounds. One stony, one shallow, one uh, thorny, and one good. And the disciples didn't understand what he was saying. But then Jesus clarified it. He said the seed is the word of God, but the soil is the heart. In the Old Testament, they had to build a structure. In the New Testament... You're the structure. In the Old Testament, they had to visit a place. In the New Testament, you, wherever you go, whatever you do, you have the ability to have an altar experience because it is your heart. Now, 
a lot of times we get this thing mixed up between Old Testament and New Testament because you'll read there in the Old Testament we're supposed to make it out of earth. All right? And so we, we make it out of earthly things. We make our altar experience, church services, our counseling with pastors, or say, you know, what you need to know is this. God wants to meet with you anywhere, everywhere, all the time. You can have, and I've had an altar experience driving down the road in the car, and the presence of God would come inside that car. And man, I'd have tears rolling down, snot dripping off, and God would impact me in a way just driving down the car. Why? Because there was an altar experience there. All an altar experience is is a moment where the divine God encounters frail humanity. And I sat there in my car having those experiences. But see, we get mixed up all the time, and not only do we get mixed up, we make it real complicated. Here in Exodus, God made it real simple. I want you to make me an altar out of earth, all right? And the reason why I want you to, but if, you, if, if you're making it out of earth and you use stones, don't cut the stones. It defiles it. If you can cut the stones, it's not an altar. Let me tell you, let me let some weight off somebody's shoulders. You can't be good enough. You can't work hard enough. It can't be done in your effort. I don't care how long you've been doing good, not doing good. You, if, it's, if, there's any, if your altar has anything to do with the abilities that your hands have, it's defiled. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Ezekiel that when we try to be good, that it's as filthy rags. It's not an altar before the Lord. I'm here to tell you, it don't matter what you've been through, what you've done, how many times you messed up. It ju- it, the only thing that can mess up your altar is if you think you can earn it or you think you can build it. Because this can't be anything by, done by hand. He said, it's going to be done by earth. So why did he say stone? You know, 90% of the altar experiences I've had in my life, I came to the Lord and my heart was hard. Most of my altar's experience took place when... I was hurt or bitter or I was cold or my heart was hard toward the Lord or hard to things of the Lord. Felt there's been times I've been let down and felt like God, God, you, why would you do this? Why would you not come through for me? You did for them. And my heart would grow hard. You know, that does not disqualify you from being used by God. Because he said this, he says, you build it out of earth. But if you find a stone and you use it, in other words, if you do got a hard heart, that's okay. You can still come to the Lord with a hard heart. Because in Isaiah, it says this, when you come before the Lord, He has the ability to turn a heart of stone into a heart of flesh again. There's no hope for a hard heart if it doesn't have an altar experience. I remember one time, a guy just really did me wrong. Wasn't even in ministry yet, I was still in high school. And this guy was a pastor. And man, he just really did everything he could do to hurt me. And I mean, I was angry. Angry. And he got to preach the service I was at. I was angry. He did me wrong. I'm telling you, he did me wrong. And I was sitting there. I just bought a brand new leather jacket. And back then we were poor. And so for me to do that, I bought it with my own mouth. I was proud of it. And I get, well, the altar call was there, and I didn't come because of his message. I came because I was so angry on the inside that I couldn't even hardly sit through that service without gritting my teeth. I mean, angry. This guy, hypocrite, sitting up there doing what he's doing, and I did that to me. Angry. So I went up there because I was sick and tired of being angry for about a week. And I said, God, I'm sick of being angry, so I went to the altar and knelt down. And nothing changed. 
I was like, God, I need you to fix this in me. I'd gotten old enough to the point where I wanted to be right with God. And I was like, and I heard the Lord say, go get your jacket and give it to him. Then I got mad at God. I mean, why? Give it, he's a jerk. And I just knew. And I, I was sick of being that way. So I walked out to my car, got it, brought it in. I said, Here you go. And I walked back up, and when I did, it just melted. My heart broke. And for the next like 30 minutes, I just couldn't quit weeping. And I felt God in a way I'd never felt Him before. And at that moment, that was one of the moments I look back and see that God was so real that I can't live without Him. But I came to an altar with a hard heart. And He was able to instruct me how to change that heart. And when I was obedient in that area, He was able to impact me in a way that changed my destiny to going forward in what I was going to do. You got to understand, all right? So Old Testament, they were dirt and stones. New Testament, it's the condition of our heart. Now, the Bible says that we, we, he wants us to build an altar. If you read it there, it said this, for this purpose, to bless you. To bless you. Read it there, Exodus 20. It says, build an altar out of earth, and if you encounter stones, don't cut them, use them. It says, put a sacrifice on it, so that I may bless you. You need to understand the reason why we go to altars is one, to encounter God, but two, so God can bless you. If God's not blessing you, you need to learn to build an altar in your life because at altars is where God releases blessings into your life. We're going to speed up real fast because you need to know this. A lot of people get caught up in how complicated things are about building an altar because there in Exodus, it's real simple. Build it out of earth, stone, put a sacrifice on it. I will come, I will meet you there, and I will bless you. Simple. A few books later in the book of Leviticus, we have all kinds of rules that break down according to an altar. We've got all these, these rules coming in about altars and different sacrifices at altars and different rules that contain to altars. As a matter of fact, um, there's grain offerings and there's you know, uh, sin offerings and guilt offerings and even offerings dealing with skin conditions. They've got all these crazy rules now. As a matter of fact, all right, um, like with me, just this morning, I was people telling me at all times, like, man, you need to quit drinking them Red Bulls. Because they're not good for you. Here almost every Sunday. All right? And I know there's people just loving me. And so I throw back at them. I say this. Well, I'm just being scriptural. The Bible says that um, if uh, you need a, uh, if, 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 you're, if you uh, need cleanse from something or you need a, uh, a healing, then what you do is you got to go get a red heifer, put it on an altar, set it on fire, burn that heifer into dust, let the ashes fall. They pick the dust, ashes up, put it in a jar, take it outside the camp. And when you need cleanse or health, you go out and get those ashes and you put a stick in it and water and you put it on you and it heals you. And since red heifers went extinct 2,000 years ago, all I got left is Red Bulls. So that's how I try to fulfill this offering thing. And I'm, we make it all real complicated. But that's a joke, of course. But there are rules for everything. As a matter of fact, if you have a skin condition, the Bible says that now to approach this altar, you have to go get two doves. And you let one dove go and you got to kill the other. And you sprinkle the blood all over the altar. And then you go and you get a sheep. And if you can't afford a sheep, you can get extra birds. And you come back and you give it to them. And then the priest has to say that now you're cleansed. Man, what went from built dirt, put 
put an altar on it, stand before the Lord, and I will bless you. Now we got all these crazy rules about how do we come to sacrifice. I want to simplify this for you because here in the New Testament, in Luke chapter 15, we find one of them weird and unusual contacts where Old Testament rules and New Testament relationship intersect. The Bible says Jesus got up and there were 10 lepers standing afar off. You need to understand, afar off it says. I love the fact that the farther you are from God, the more available an altar is. You may be a million miles from God today and you say, Cricket, there's no way I can have an altar experience. The Bible says that the lepers had to stay far from everybody and Jesus showed up and went toward them. And then they did this. The Bible says they created an altar experience. They began to cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And Jesus said this. The Bible says Jesus called the ten lepers to him and he said this. This is where the intersection happens. He said, he said I want you to go and show yourself to the priest." Now, what was Old Testament rule? You were to go to the priest. You were to to get two doves. You were to go through all that, and the priest had to say, you're clean. So the Bible says, as they went, they were healed. Nine of these guys were Jews. One of them was a Samaritan. Now, what was that Samaritan doing with a bunch of Jews? Because that was one of the most prejudiced situations you could have during the time. I love this. God will meet you in your greatest issues. God will let you build an altar in your greatest issues. But so, why was he there? Well, you know, I've learned this over the years. Misery loves company. And when you find somebody that is in a desperate need, in a desperate situation, they'll start trying to find other people that have the same thing so maybe they can help them fix this. I want you to know something. If you're looking for somebody or something to fix it other than a relationship and an altar experience, you're going to find yourself with a group of people that got the same situations you do. And so, the Bible says that the tip, as they went, they were healed. But one of them came back to the Lord. One of them. And when he got back to the Lord, he said this. He says, thank you for healing me. And Jesus stepped back and says, where are the other nine? Weren't there ten of you guys? Jesus knew where they were. Because what he told them to do was the law of the Levitical Bible. If they had a skin disease, they couldn't be considered cured until they went and went through the process of religion. There's some people that deal with their issues with the process of religion. But it doesn't make you whole. The Bible says, but the one that came back to Jesus, he understood that I can go show myself and be a part of that. Or if I've got an opportunity, right here in the middle of the wilderness, right in the middle of my mess where I was a few minutes ago, I can get before the Lord and say thank you. The Bible says he was not just healed, but he said he was made whole. Do you understand what leprosy does? Leprosy would make people's nose fall off, or fingers fall off, or ears fall off. It was a skin disease that would eat it. The ten, the nine that went to the priest says they were healed. Man, but I wouldn't want to walk through life the rest of my life healed without a nose on my face because everybody would have known I had issues. That's not what altar experiences do in the New Testament. In the New Testament, when you have an altar experience, he don't leave your nose missing. He puts you back together. When you get in front of here, you just don't get fixed. He makes you whole. We have an ability now. We don't live under the Old Testament law. In the Old Testament law, this was the rule. You brought something living, you put it on the altar, and it died, and then God would come. In the New Testament, since your heart now is the soul, the scripts change. 
it turns in New Testament covenant, it says this. You don't bring God something living and kill it to the Lord. You bring something dead and you put it on the altar and he brings it to life. It says it like this. It says that you are a living sacrifice. Old Testament, every sacrifice died. Now we have an ability to have an encounter with Jesus and have an altar experience with Jesus that no matter what's been dead in your life, you come to the Lord with the heart, whether it's hard, a heart that is dirty, a heart that is full, and a part of your life that's dead, you bring your dead part to the Lord, have an encounter with God, and the part you give him, he blesses and brings back to life. We are living sacrifices. But you find somebody with no life in them, you find people that doesn't come to them. So this is, how do you build an altar? How do you build an altar? This is how you build an altar. And, well, let me answer this question first. Why do you build an altar? Because this is what Jesus, we all want to fulfill the destiny of God in our life, correct? The Bible says that when he, when the one came back to the Lord, he says, you are whole, now go. Could it be that the rate of our return to an altar could set the pace toward our destiny that we live? I'll say that again. I want you to get the, the one that hurried up and got back to Jesus. He just met him. He walked just a little ways away, realized God was doing something, and he ran back to God. And then God said, you're whole, now Go. Could the rate that you return to an altar have anything to do with the pace that you fulfill your destiny? Are you visiting an altar once a week? Are you visiting an altar once a month? Are you wondering, God, why is it taking you so long? Says it like this, and I'm going to be done. But this will change your life. You ready? Psalms 91 says, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of of the Almighty. In other words, it says, the ones that get to a personal place in an altar with the Lord, they live in a different level of life than normal people do. And that word shadow comes out of three words. One, how many of you guys are old enough to remember VHS stores? Blockbuster, movie guy. Every time you walked in once, the young guys, you won't remember it. Every time you walked in, they had this tape sitting on the bar that was just wrinkled up. And all y'all remember those? And it says, don't leave your tape in the sun. Remember those? Everyone, everyone. It was that. And why, why the Bible says, He that builds an altar before the Lord will live in a place of protection when you're going through hard things. In other words, you'll be in a place that when other people can't get through what you're going through, because you dwell at an altar place, you will be able to get through things that other people can't go through. There is a divine protection over your life. Number two, that word shade comes out of ease, comfort. In Arkansas, we don't understand that well. Arizona, you can be standing in the sun, 105 degrees, shadow line, step over in it, 80 degrees instantly. They have a dry heat there. And so there's a, they, they understand the, the understanding of shade. Here in Arkansas, you can get in the shade and sweat in the sun too. But it's humidity. But in, what he's saying is the ones though that are able to get to an altar, he that have an altar spirit, they dwell in the secret place of the Most High. They live at a level of life that what would seemingly be so hard and so difficult on other people, they're just cruising right through it. You've seen them. You've seen people go through hell and high water, and there was just this peace that surpasses all understanding. That sign there's an altar in their life. Third, 
most important. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the dial. The shadow there is dial. You've seen a sun, sun dial? The, the plate's not the dial, it's the stick. And the stick, when the sun hits it, casts a shadow. And it lets you know what time it is. You can take it to the bank. You find somebody that has an altar in their life and they can rely on the timing of God at work on their behalf. I'll show it to you in the New Testament. How many of you guys have heard this statement? God's never too early, never too late, but what? Right on time. People make that up. That's not true. That's not scripturally based. We say it because it makes us feel good. Truth is this. When you study in the book of Mark 4, when the Bible says that he told his disciples, he was on his way to Jerusalem, I must go to, I must go to Samaria. They didn't understand. But God, we got to go this way. Nope, I must. I must. The Bible says that he went, he got to the town, says he came up to a well, and he sat down on the side of a well, and it says he waited. What would make the son of the universe, the God of the world, get somewhere and have to sit and wait. Bible says he waited on a lady, a Samaritan woman, that whose life was a full-blown mess. She'd been married five times, living with the man that wasn't. She didn't have it clean. She wasn't living good. She was doing whatever she could do to get by. I've learned people don't sin because they want to. They sin because they don't, I don't know anything else to do, and it's the only thing that will ease any of the pain that they're going through. And so Bible says that she came to the well that day at lunch because historians believe because of the way she'd lived and the things that had happened in her life, they believed that she didn't want to be around the other women because she was being judged and talked about. So she waited to the hottest time of the day to go to the well. And when she got there, you need to understand, Jesus was there waiting. It says he got there early and he was waiting. Why was he early? Only reason why I can find why he was early was this. Because the Bible says when she recognized she was talking to a teacher. She said, you worship in the synagogue, we worship on the mountain. She made the statement, I have an altar that I go to, and I worship God at my altar. And I'm here to tell you, because she had an altar that she worshiped at, God showed up early when she needed him. You want God to move on your behalf quicker than you see him moving? You run to your altar, because the experience at the altar sets the pace of your destiny. The more time you spend at an altar releases the speediency and the timing of God in your life. You need God to move now. You need to be in an altar now. You need God to fix something now, heal you now. The Bible says now faith is. Not tomorrow, not next week. Not You get to a place where you have an encounter with God anytime you want to. Your now can be anytime you want to, but it will take a now. It will take an experience. You know, like, Cricket, when will I get saved? Whenever you want to. Whenever you come to an altar. Cricket, when will I get healed? Whenever you want to. Whenever you come to an altar. Cricket, when is my marriage going to get fixed? Whenever you want to. Whenever you come to an altar. Cricket, I went to an altar. Keep going to your altar. Because she'd been to that well and that well and that well. But she, in between times of being at that well, she found time to get at an altar. And when the timing of God was at work, Jesus got there early. You need to understand. 
if I could, if you want to see what God can do, then you make sure you get an altar in your life and you cause your heart to come to a place that connects with God. You say, well, how do I do it? It does take atmospheres. You got to go where you know God is. I got to be honest with you. I've never seen anybody at the dance club, in the middle of the dance floor, having an experience with God. I'm not saying it didn't happen. If it did, somebody else was praying. But I've had, watch, thousands come into church and it happened. Thousands sitting at home in their prayer time. God is in His Word. God is in His praise. These are all scripturally based. God is where two or three are gathered. God is with us all the time. But yeah, no, His presence is manifested at altars. And I don't care what you're doing. I don't know what you're dealing with, but this is what I felt like the Lord told me and I'm done. That if you want to see what God can do, you go where God told you to. And you get to an altar right now, today. Now, I go to altars regularly because I got all kind of issues I have to deal with. I'm married to Jennifer. Oh no, she's married to me. She's got, I have to get to the Lord all the time. And Usually when I do, different times and different seasons, different songs minister to me different. But I've got a song right now that does minister to me. It's the one I'm using now. And daily when I go before the Lord, if I have to, sometimes it's, I put my earphones in. I just dropped my girls off to school. And it's driving from there back to wherever I got to get. I'm just, Lord, I don't want to start my day with before I get before you and get an altar and, and offer you my dead stuff. Old Testament, you had to give him your good stuff. New Testament, you give him your dead stuff. And when he gives it back to you, it's living. Because he causes you to be living. Do you got something dead in your life today? Do you got a relationship? Do you got a brokenness? Do you got a pain? Do you got a sickness? Do you, I'm going to open this altar and we're going to do this one song. It's three minutes long. And this is how I'm going to close. I want to give you a chance. Maybe you're here and you say, Cricket, I've never had an altar experience. Your life's about to change. You say, well, Cricket... Um, you know, I've never, I, I, I don't know how to activate it. All you have to do is show up and lay whatever you have dead before the Lord. See, a lot of times, this is a work glove. Ask Miss Stacy to bring me a work glove, because if anybody I know who has good work gloves, I know it's Stacy. And so this is a work glove. If I throw that work glove down there, and I believe all day long for that glove to work, it ain't going to work. If I say, come on, I get down and coach it. Work glove, work glove, work glove. You can do it. Still ain't going to work. That glove will not work until I put the worker in it. When I put the worker in it, what that glove was designed to do, it now has the ability to do. I don't know what altar you need today. I don't know if you need a peace altar, a guilt altar, a forgiveness, a salvation altar, a healing offer, a cleansing offer. But I'm here to tell you, you're the, we don't got time to get, but you're the priest. The New Testament says that you're, you don't have to go show yourself to a priest. He's made you a royal priesthood, holy nation. Your dead parts of you are the sacrifice. You bring it and say, God, this is a mess. I give it to you. The fire of God will hit it, transform it, and you will walk out of here different. And if you don't believe me, my challenge to you is try it. I want you to see what God can do. I want you to see He can forgive you. He can heal you. He can bless you. He can change you. He can fix you. He can bless you in every possible way. Make the room romantic. 
you find an altar. I don't care if it's at your seat. I don't care if it's on your feet. I don't care if it's in the front. But you find an altar. And if you'll find an altar, you will walk out of here different than you came. In Jesus' name. You're dismissed whenever you're done. God bless you. We'll see you tonight.